Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you're doing great. This is Jordan Beachnall, your host. And today, we're going to be continuing our series on salvation. And the last uh, episode that we talked about was the gospel. And I actually wasn't planning on doing this episode, but I felt like right after recording the other one, the Lord really placed this on my heart of what is Jesus, what is God doing on the cross? What is God doing on a cross? And so let's get right into it. So what is God doing on the cross? He is fighting, rescuing, liberating. He's freeing. He's purchasing, redeeming. He's atoning and saving. But what is he saving and freeing from? Like what is it that he's fighting for? What is it that he's fighting against? What is it that he is saving us from? He is ultimately defeating death but where did death come from death came from sin and sin was caused by the fall of man and which was caused by the fall of the devil which was caused further by the envy the lust the distrust disobedience of the devil and the fallen angels and man directly participated in that that pride envy that lust for things that aren't ours, that distrust in God that he's holding out on us and ultimately disobedience and we directly participating. James 1.15 says, Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So Jesus, God on a cross, is God fighting for us to be rescued, liberated, redeemed, purchased, freed, saved, atoned for sin and death and destruction and disobedience that we directly participated in that Satan and all the fallen angels caused in the first place. They hated God's plan. They hated God's plan for you. He hated your life because of the dignity that God bestowed upon you. He hated everything that we could have ever have. And so he turned away from God and not just a turning away and out of uh, passiveness, but he actually went on and waged war for every single human soul. He is fighting. He hates us. He hates us. He is our worst enemy and our worst nightmare. And he came and he tempts all of us constantly. He's always trying to give us thoughts that aren't of God, that that steal, kill, kill and destroy. He wants us to directly participate in his destructiveness and his, his sin and his death. And he's a scumbag. He is a scumbag and he is trying to wage war against God and his creatures. And God has won, already already won victory over sin, death, destruction, every single lie that the devil's ever told you, every single lie that he's said uh, that falsely about your identity and God, that you're not really a child of God. He's holding out on you. Or you can do, you can do this. This is actually going to, um, uh, this is actually going to bring you happiness and joy and, and freedom. And these are all lies of the devil. St. Basil the Great, he even says, Hell can't be made attractive, so the devil makes attractive the road that leads there. And though this is in direct contrast with what Jesus calls us to, and we've, we're called to follow him, Jesus Christ and him crucified, the humility of God to, pay, to, to pick up our cross, to fight, and to spread the kingdom of God, to spread the kingdom of light, to spread the kingdom of the beloved Son of God, who is already won, who is already victorious, and we, we are in Jesus, we are already victorious, and he wants to hold, all of us to hold every single thought captive 
to him. Every, he wants us to have faith and obedience to him to never sin again. Sin is not normal. Sin is not part of God's plan. Sin is not part of the Christian life. And he wants us to destroy all sin in our lives. And that's why he calls us to ha- have that deep interior life of seeing when we have pride, envy, lust, distrust, disobedience, hatred, um, all of those things. And idolatry, all the all these things that creep up in our heart, um, and it's lies. It's all lies, and the, the Lord wants us to take them captive so that we are completely free, and we cannot do this on our own. And God has, it's a complete free gift of God, because God enters into it with us. He enters fully into our suffering, our weakness, our temptations, and Jesus has destroyed it all. And He wants us. He wants to destroy it in our lives too, to make us free. And where the spirit is, we are free indeed. He wants to transform us inside out. And that is what is supposed to be the the new covenant, this transformation of the human person inside out to become, to participate in the divine nature. And that transformation comes from a freeing, a breaking off of the chains of slavery to sin that wages death. So, Salvation history. When God created the entire universe, every single piece that's seen, unseen, our world, the moon, all the, every single planet, all the stars, this huge, huge vastness of place, he created all of it and he said it's good. And then he created human beings and he says it is very good. And he was going to make them in his image and likeness. And he made them in his image and likeness. And all the angels... And all the angels that were with God, they saw God's plan and most of them stayed and about a third of them fell, led by Satan, who was the, uh, a light bearer, a, an angel of God. And he fell from heaven because he wanted to, he was envious of God and envious of us. Envy being very different than jealousy. And not only is he jealous, but he wants to take it away from you. So what did he do to our first parents, Adam and Eve, the very first children of God that was made in the image and likeness of God? They had everything they needed. They were already children of God. They have access to they have access to him. They walked in the cool of the day with God. But what did the devil do? He started tempting them and he made it look pretty, just like St. Basil said. And he started making them uh, doubt their their identity and doubt what God has said them, has told them. Did God really say this? He's holding out on you. You can do it. You're actually going to be even greater than God now if you go and do this. And we and Adam and Eve participated. And what happens with every single sin is the same temptation. God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. Maybe he doesn't even exist. And you're going to be even smarter. You're going to be even greater. You're going to have more honor. You're going to be more successful if you just do this. And that's what happens day after day after day in all of our lives. It is a battle for our souls. The devil is called the accuser. He wants to get us to sin. And then after we fall, he points the finger at, at, at us and says, look at what you did. He wants all of us to be seized in fear. He wants us to fall, first fall into sin and then be seized with fear, to be paralyzed with fear to the point of even being completely afraid to the point of despair and to feel like we're abandoned and we can never go back to God. Jason Everett and Matt Fred, I've heard them both say this. Satan knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but calls you by your name. 
and in Jesus, we are already victorious. And in Jesus, when we put our trust in him and obedience in him, and we can hold every single thought captive to Christ, that we would destroy the works of the devil, destroy the works of of the kingdom of darkness and bring every single soul into the kingdom of the beloved son who walk in that union with God so that every single time that we lust, every single time that we have uh, any pride or uh, anything that creeps up in our heart that is contrary to the gospel, contrary to the way Jesus thinks, the way Jesus moves, the way, uh, the, the way Jesus tells us to act, we take it to, to Jesus and Jesus is victorious over it in our lives and we are made more and more into the image of of Jesus, made more and more into the image that we were called to be. When Jesus participated in our humanity, he wanted us to participate in his divinity. And that makes us more human, even more human. When uh, I've heard it said, uh, talked about this way with with Mary, because she is perfect. And people may initially have a tough time actually going to her because they're like, she's perfect. We have nothing in common. But she is actually even more human than anybody that ever lived. Adam and Eve were fully human. They were in their image and likeness. They walked in union with God. So being more God-like is actually being more human-like, to be made in the image of the Son. St. Irenaeus, he said it this way, The glory of God is man fully alive. So men becoming more like God is actually becoming more human. So, So that is salvation history. The angels fell, they hate us, they tempt us, and humans fell, and sin entered into the world, into the human heart, and death reigned through that, and death came into the world for every single human being. And so, and Jesus came to take all that away. So we are in a battle. Ephesians six eleven through 12 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood. Every single human person that we see, this is just a side note, every single human person that we could ever walk past is not our enemy. St. Paul continues, We are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5 eight says, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, the, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, I heard Father Mike Schmitz, just another side note, Father Mike Schmitz talk about this verse. In the Lion Kingdom, when uh, a, lion, a young lion is coming up and he, wanted to, he wants to take over as the head lion, he goes after the head lion and they fight. And what do they do? They actually don't try to kill each other. They try to castrate each other. So now they no longer have their genitals. And what do they do? And so they're taking away their manhood. They're taking away and saying, I'm the new man. I'm the new king in this, in this kingdom. And what does the devil do? Especially for men, he attacks them and he wants to take away their manhood through lust and pornography. And that is rampant. The devil is roaring around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is taking away true manhood and true masculinity by lust and pornography and all of these sexual horrible sins and and he wants us to participate in that and through that participation he is castrating 
men by this particular sin of lust and pornography and all of these sexual temptations and sexual sins. And he starts with the father because through the father, the family is completely broken. There is not a head of a household. Children don't grow up to see true masculinity, to see authentic, true love between a husband and a wife. And it's uh, the devil attacks men. He attacks everybody. But particularly, we see this in the family life that um, the devil attacks men in order to break up the family and so and our and by the way adam and eve and our human choices our our choices the devil isn't uh forcing us god isn't forcing us we have a decision to make we have a decision to make but the devil loves to tempt loves to tempt and and to give lies and when we can grab those lies or grab the uh fall into those temptations we we fall into sin Jesus says the devil is the father of lies. He seeks to k- steal, kill, and destroy. He is the strong man that came to destroy us and to destroy God's plan for your life. And he has a whole lot of friends with him, all the fallen angels. And Jesus says this about it in Matthew 12, uh, 43 through 45, and Luke 11, 24 through 26. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest, but he finds none. Then he says, I will, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and brings with him seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Just another quick little side note. Sorry. But this is all great stuff. So Jesus, when he says he pat the the evil spirit, when he goes out of a man. So this is actually a man being cleaned up, right? Like he's getting rid of all this darkness. And a lot of this can be uh, looked at as the first initial um, action of 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 divine um, sanctifying grace in our lives that uh, this this the unclean spirit leaves out of a man. But then he says this, then the unclean spirit passes through waterless places. That's interesting that he says waterless places. It just kind of hit me when we were reading, when I was reading it this morning, was that the waterless places, what does he mean? Well, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the life-giving water and he's not filled. So we're not, he's, what he's saying is that a person who's not filled with God, but he was only cleaned up from the first time. Um, he even says that when he returns, he finds that human being their house empty swept and put in order those are all good things but he's not filled with the spirit of god he's not filled with christ jesus that comes through abiding in the presence of god and what happens the evil spirit and seven other spirits enter back into the man and the state is even worse than the first we are always in this battle he's always looking for an entry to tempt us to crack open a door for us to enter into sin and darkness to participate in his destruction his destruction that he desires um but this is what jesus is doing on the cross he is fighting contending he is not uh a victim he is actually the predator he's not a prey he is the predator he looks like he's being defeated because he's dying the most pitiable death that any human being that could ever live experienced in the roman world and the people around the cross are even are even saying like if you really are the son of god take yourself down off that cross it looks like he lost it looks like whatever he came for the message that he was teaching was just a nice message and that was it but no 
This is God fighting and winning. He is going to battle. Jesus even says, nobody can take my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He is battling. He is fighting. He is winning. He is binding the strong man. According to Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 11, it says, how, Jesus says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his, out, his house. So Jesus is the one who enters the strong man's house, who is the devil, and he binds him. He binds him hand, foot. He's done. And he ransoms all his belongings that he stole from us, that he stole from our inheritance. Jesus went to battle to liberate, to free, to rescue, to purchase, redeem, atone, save, to fill up with, the, with his spirit, every single human being, that we would participate in his victory, that your, whatever you have gone through, your sadness, depression, any struggles against, against sin, lust, temptation, uh, any addictions in our lives, Jesus came to break them off. And this is how he did it, interfulling into suffering, into the human heart, into suffering to give us what we truly desire, which is union with God. And God became man and died on a cross for us. So what is God doing on a cross? He is binding the strong man. He is fighting, rescuing, liberating, freeing, purchasing. He is redeeming, atoning, and saving us. And uh, this is the idea of purchasing, purchasing by the blood of Jesus. In the ancient, in ancient Hebrews, in, in the book of Leviticus, you can find this. It stipulates that if someone were to go into debt, so a family member, somebody goes into debt, but they could never pay it back, they would have to sell all their possessions, including their ancestral home where all of their family members have lived since God brought them into the promised land. And essentially, they have to sell away their entire family history, which is a huge disgrace at that time, right? Like this is what they have. This is what God gave them in the promised land. And if somebody goes into debt, they had to sell all of it, get rid of their family inheritance, their heritage, everything that they ever had. They have to sell it because they went into debt that they couldn't pay. But there was one way out of this. <clears throat> A family member could purchase them back and make the debt free, but it had to be a family member, which would be any family they entered into covenant with, such as a man and a wife, their families became one family and they could buy their debt. And what is this? This is a perfect image of what Jesus came to do. He is part of the family of God, the Trinity, and he calls us to be part of the family of God. He is our brother. We become children of God. We are filled with his spirit. We become, uh, we become the bridegroom of Christ. We become the body of Christ. We become that, that kingdom inheritance. Jesus, as our brother, our family member, he paid all of our debt that we couldn't pay. God became flesh, so he gave it infinite value. His, his blood, his death has infinite, eternal value and grace. There is no end. There is nothing that you are away that isn't redeemable because it is the blood of God that was shed for you. So even, and he was, even the blood that he shed in his circumcision as a baby, it was even the blood that he sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was enough to purchase us, to redeem us, to restore us. But he goes all the way to the cross, all entering into the fullness of human suffering, which was caused by sin. He enters fully into death to transform it. So now, now when we die, we will live forever. So God's blood purchased us to make us 
family again, to make us whole again, to bring us back to our promised land, to restore our inheritance, to restore us back to the image of God, to bring us back into that new family covenant of God. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus to make us and to remind us that we are beloved children in a family covenant with God and to share in the inheritance that he freely gave us. God freed the Israelites from Egypt. That was a free, undeserved gift. He led his people into the promised land. That was a free, undeserved gift. But God always is reminding and pulling us back into a relationship, a union, a heart-to-heart union with him, even after them receiving that undeserved gift. And still now, our salvation is an undeserved gift from God himself, purchased by the blood of the Son of God, to purchase, to restore, to redeem, to save. And God wants our response. He wants us always with him. We're saved only through union with the Savior, Jesus. That even in the midst of trials and sufferings in this world, we have the power to live a life of freedom apart from slavery to sin. In union, in that union with our crucified Savior, our suffering makes sense. Our suffering even becomes redemptive for ourselves. As St. Paul says, that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's in Romans 5, 3 through 5. And then St. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that when we are weak, we are strong. Because then when we are weak in the flesh, it become, we become strong because it's the grace and spirit of God that we rely on, not on our flesh. And in that suffering, when we are united to Jesus and his suffering, as St. Paul says in Romans 8 through 17, 817, he says, we are children and heirs of God with Christ provided that, provided, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So suffering becomes redemptive and also necessary. And the glory does not compare with the present suffering, as as he says. And as Jesus' sufferings were for our redemption, our sufferings in union with Jesus becomes redemptive for others as well. St. Paul says in Colossians 1.24, that I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Nothing is lacking in Jesus' sufferings, Jesus' afflictions, Jesus' crucifixion, his death. The only thing that is lacking is our participation in Christ's afflictions, that Jesus Christ and him crucified would become, I have been crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. We directly participate in the sufferings, the redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we can't lose with Jesus Apart from him, we can do nothing, but in him, all things are possible. That even in suffering, we rejoice, and even in death, we will never die, but live forever because of Jesus. And what can separate us from God? And it goes all the way back to the very beginning. Our own willingness to sin, our own willingness to have pride, the own willingness to have lust, our own willingness to participate in the works of the evil one, which is to seek, kill, destroy, to take for ourselves, to to actually believe in a lie. He wants to, the devil wants us to experience eternal death. God wants us to experience fullness of life 
even in this life. Jesus says that he came to give life and, and for us to have it abundantly. And he's talking about this life, but then also, obviously, eternal life. God, the way, the truth, and the life calls us in to participate in his redemptive act that was purchased by the blood of his son. Because the blood of the eternal God has been poured out for us, we have eternal value. Because the price paid by God himself, which is his own life, the value we have becomes infinite. It's even greater than the original value and the original plan that was in Adam and Eve. It's even greater than the beginning. We have been saved from fatherlessness, saved from hopelessness, saved from lifelessness, saved from lovelessness. There is an analogy uh, from Father John Ricardo. Is I'm not going to be able to do it as much as he did, but an analogy that really helps put into perspective this battle that's infinitely greater than this, even this analogy, what Jesus has done. The analogy is, Imagine that you, that you, that we are the French people in World War II. Our, our country, our homes, our families have been invaded by a vicious, tyrannical enemy that wants to destroy us. Our entire country is infested with evil. Our entire country is, is, uh, is suffering the consequences of this darkness of and we seem to can't get out of it. Everywhere we go, we are enslaved. We are taken prison. We are separated from our family. We are cut off from our home. We are cut off from each other. And then one day, when you get the newspaper in the morning, you're scared, afraid for your family, and you get the newspaper and you see that it says, Allies have landed in France. And you know that the U.S. troops and the other European troops have landed to fight, to redeem, to purchase, to win this battle against darkness, to free this country, for our families to be united again. Allies have landed. You wouldn't just flip to the next page. That is incredible news. You would be going crazy. You would be jumping for joy. You would want to participate. You would want to tell all of your family. You would want to tell all of your friends. Did you hear the good news? The allies have landed. The allies have landed. And this analogy, the devil is our enemy. Evil has entered into our country, our inheritance. It has invaded our homeland, our families. It has destroyed our families, has taken away our inheritance, our family heritage, our history, our, our peace, our love for each other. Us being together has destroyed all of that. And this was caused by the devil, who is a tyrant worse than anything that we saw in this entire world, way worse than what we saw in World War II um, that wanted to seek, kill, and destroy. This is worse than our worst nightmare that we can't contend against. But God has come and won victory for us. The allies have landed. And as Christians, we have that heritage fully restored again. We have access to all of heaven. We have access to the throne of God surrounded by the angels and saints. We are in this as a family. We go and we do battle and we, this is incredible news. We need to tell all of our friends. We need to tell all of our family that we don't flip to the next page. This is incredible good news. And I just want to end with this. Why is God on a cross? 
to win us back, to purchase us back, to free us, to redeem us, to give us life. St. Catherine of Siena says this, All the nails in the world could not have held Christ to the cross had not love held him there. It was the love of God that conquered all of our sin, all of our death, and has destroyed the works of the devil.